Welcome back to the program. This is the season in which high school seniors start receiving college admission notices and begin the run-up to high school graduation. Given the gallons and gallons of self-esteem poured into these kids, every one of them thinks they're special. My guest today, David McCullough Jr., has a bit of a different idea. Let's take a listen. You're not special. You're not exceptional. Contrary to what your U9 soccer trophy suggests, your, your glowing seventh grade report card, despite every assurance of a certain corpulent purple dinosaur, that nice Mr. Rogers and your batty Aunt Sylvia, no matter how often your paternal caped crusader has swooped in to save you, you are nothing special. Yes, you've been pampered, cosseted, doted upon, helmeted, bubble-wrapped. Yes, capable adults with other things to do have held you, kissed you, fed you, wiped your mouth, wiped your bottom, trained you, taught you, tutored you, coached you, listened to you, counseled you, encouraged you, consoled you, and encouraged you again. You've been nudged, cajoled, wheedled, and implored. You've been feted and fawned over and called sweetie pie. Yes, you have. And certainly we've been to your games, your plays, your recitals, your science fairs. Absolutely smiles ignite when you walk into a room and hundreds gasp with delight at your every tweet. And now you've conquered high school. But do not get the idea you're anything special. Because you're not. That was part of a high school commencement speech that David McCullough Jr. gave back in 2012, the video of which has been viewed over two and a half million times. David has now turned that speech into a book entitled You Are Not Special and Other Encouragements. It is my pleasure to welcome David McCullough Jr. here to talk about You Are Not Special. David, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's my great pleasure. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. If you had given that speech in 1986, when you first started teaching, how might it have been perceived? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I, in 1986, when I started teaching, it was in Honolulu, and a very different culture, a very different kind of school, and it wouldn't have been particularly relevant. People would have thought, what's this guy guessing about? It really um, speaks to the way in which the culture and so much has changed in that period of time. It has, yeah, alas. And I think to the detriment uh, of a lot of kids. Um, the the context of the, the part of the speech you were quoting is that was the, the beginning, a kind of droll teasing to get their attention. And I, much more important was the message that followed, which is it's time to set aside concern about assessments or concern about um, one's own importance and rather focus on what's in front of you. The commencement, after all, is a, is a beginning. And so any distinction a kid might have achieved to that point doesn't really matter. And all the symbolism of the event seems to uh, suggest as much. You know, they're in ceremonial robes that uh, um, remove any individuality. They each get the same diploma, no matter what the child might have achieved in school. They cross the stage in alphabetical order, not according to class rank or some other distinction. And so, therefore, none of that mattered. Going forward, um, people out there in the world aren't going to necessarily be all that impressed that you were, you know, second team all league at shortstop or that you won the, um, the book award your sophomore year. Instead, do what you do because you believe in it and enjoy it and let outcomes be what they will. 
And yet we're told repeatedly, and these kids are told repeatedly today, that in order to compete in the world, average, ordinary is no longer good enough, that exceptional is the only alternative. And that's probably true. The problem is that it's a statistical inevitability that most people are average. Um, If it's distinction you want, if it's to impress is your purpose, well, then you better deserve it. You better earn it. And that's not so easy. And um, trying to PR your way into achievement is the wrong way to go. One of the things that we certainly have seen in the intervening years we were talking about is the degree to which self-esteem has become so important to be poured into our kids today. Talk a little about that. I think it's, it's essential that kids feel good about themselves. How, that achi- how that's achieved, though, is, is another question. And I, you know, self-esteem comes from within. It, it doesn't, it's not um, something other people can give you, no matter how much praise you pour on a child. Nor do you ever want the kid to get the idea that any endeavor is about the praise you might earn. A kid will feel good about himself when he's when he's worked hard at a challenge and and felt he has succeeded by his own definition of success. It's a big problem today too, is that kids are 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 trying to live by other people's definitions of what it means to succeed. Is this an American phenomenon or a global phenomenon as you've seen it? Well, I, judging, I, I don't know, it was a quick answer, but judging from the reaction my speech got around the world, I would say it's, it's pretty much a global phenomenon. I think it has, it has to do with socioeconomic demographics, too. You know, the privileged kids, um, with their privilege, alas, comes a sense of entitlement, and with entitlement comes complacency, yet they still want the accolades. Well, it, that's sometimes problematic. To what extent does our fascination with celebrity culture and standing out as of celebrities in whatever the arena might be, to what extent does that play a role in what you're talking about? I think it plays a big role. You know, I'm on TV, therefore I am, or I am celebrated, therefore I am. And all the electronic uh, technology now, with the, I think the selfie is, is a perfect metaphor for our era. Um, you know, people are tweeting out, information about themselves like the rest of the world cares. Um, they're putting things on Facebook all the time about themselves. There's kind of a, a uh, the culture seems to encourage narcissism, um, which in my view is not only missing the point, it's boring. It also makes them kind of the center of the universe. I mean, that, that goes along with the self-esteem, the entitlement, everything you were talking about before, this sense that the world revolves around them. Precisely, and if everybody feels that way, it's going to be a, quite a chaotic world. <laughs> it, it can be discouraging and dismaying. I, the other part that seems to be missing is a sense of humor. Um, everything seems so deadly serious all the time. The stakes are enormously high in everything anybody does. And you want to say, you know, come on, get over yourself, lighten up a little, and let's just have some fun. What was the reaction among kids that you talked to after the speech started to take off and it got so much attention? Oh, I got more slaps on the back from parents and kids alike than, than I'd ever experienced in all the years before. Um, yeah, I've, I've gotten more compliments and, and praise and expressions of gratitude over what I said. It's been um, jarring and gratifying and surreal a lot.
And yet even many of the students and parents, I'm sure, that were very complimentary and, and really embraced what you had to say went immediately back to the old ways. Yeah, of course. And some people are coming to me for, coming to me for absolution. You know, they want me, they suddenly want to prove to me that they are not the helicopter parent. They're not intervening. They're not plowing the way to every success for their child. I can get in a lot of that lately, too. Talk a little bit about the importance of kids being happy. You write a bunch about that in the book. I, I think that's hugely important. I think the best thing parents can provide for their children is a happy household. I think um, the best thing a teacher can provide for his students is a happy classroom. Um, people work best when they're happy and confident and feeling good about themselves and their place in the world, and that's when growth happens. Um, you know, I'm a father of four children, three of whom are teenagers. I've been a high school teacher for a long time, and I still think my job is to um, provide for both my children and my students a happy, safe, comfortable environment for them to explore and grow. And if they fail, they fail, and they figure out how to deal with it. What is their attitude about failure? Are they afraid of failure? Did Talk a little bit about that. Oh, a lot of kids are definitely afraid of failure. They feel um, scrutinized in every step they make. They feel tremendous pressure to excel, and therefore, they're unwilling to take risks. They, they um, follow the path of least resistance, and that inhibits growth. It's, um, and for those of us charged with their education, a fear of failure is a, is a, a big and difficult problem. I like to give my students... Um, uh, experiences at which they will fairly easily succeed, and I like to give them uh, experiences at which they will likely not succeed. And then we figure out how to deal with both. There's also this tremendous desire today, and it goes back to the technology you were talking about before and also the parental messages that they get about the need to fit in, to not stand out, not to be too far outside the norm. Yeah, I the the um, the conventional impulse of the adolescent is to stand out and fit in at the same time. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you do that? Stand out and fit in at the same time. I need to achieve great things and be recognized for those achievements, but I don't want to be weird. I don't want to be odd. And uh, and so the, right there is a paradox that's difficult to deal with. You know, are we making it more difficult for kids to deal with that duality given all the things that that parents expect, the teachers expect today? Yeah, I, yes, I think I think the adults in kids' lives are making things more difficult than generally. Yes, I think it's uh, it, we are absolutely we adults are absolutely complicit in what's going on. Um, I think we need to step back a bit and let them figure things out. And if they flounder, they flounder a bit, but eventually they'll they'll get on the right track. It's important that they know they're supported. It's important that they know they're loved. It's important that in a real crisis, we will help. But um, the adults need to be the adults, and they need to give the children the room they need to learn. Of course, for parents, defining what a real crisis is lies as, as part of the crux of this, because a real crisis becomes anything that upsets the child, really. That's right. Yeah, you, the, the parent needs to, like the adult needs to be the adult, and you need to apply a discerning eye and, um, and recognize the difference between 
belly aching and letting off steam and real cries for help. Have we seen enough of the kids that have grown up in this environment that we're talking about, have we seen enough of them reach adulthood that we're, we're really beginning to understand the pluses and the minuses to these kids as they go off into the real world, as they graduate college and have to deal with reality? Uh, you know, I, that, that's a very important and interesting question. And I, in my view, the jury's still out. I'd like to see, I, of those kids raised in the, the sort of current environment, what I, one thing I am noticing is a kind of protracted adolescence that, that maturation is being stretched out over a longer period. Um, people are much slower now to commit themselves to a career or a relationship. They're later getting married. They're later having children. Not necessarily a bad thing per se, but it's just an interesting phenomenon that um, we're making a longer process of growing up. What do you think the link is between the way we're, we're having these kids grow up, the ways you've addressed and you are not special, and this prolonged kind of adolescence that you're talking about? Where's, where's the nexus? I, I don't know. I, I think a big part of it is parents so eager for their children to enjoy the cultural plums. And as a consequence, they're much more involved in their children's lives all the way through. Um, you know, not only are we driving them to their sports practices and waiting around while they practice and going to their every game or their piano recitals, we're also um, keeping an eye on with whom and how long and at what they play, particularly when they're little. I mean, the phenomenon of the play date, for example, is interesting to me. To me, the, the, the perfect metaphor for the whole era uh, is the car seat. Absolutely, it's essential. And um, to not put a child in the car seat now is reckless. But in the car seat, the kid's perspective is, is limited. He's looking right at the back of his, his or her mother's or father's head. Um, in the car seat, a child is protected, driven, and aimed in one direction. And I think that's, that speaks to the whole kind of era of child rearing. One wonders what these kids will be like, and as you said, the jury is still out, but one wonders what these kids will be like as parents and the degree to which they <laughs> mimic their own parents or rebel against what their parents did. I don't know. It'll be fun to watch. Talk a little bit about any of the kids that have responded to your speech and how they've pushed back. What, what have you seen in terms of them pushing back against their own parents and wanting more freedom, more responsibility? going along with more privilege? Um, I have noticed kids as they've gone off to college to, um, it's interesting that, you know, they're so used to having their parents involved in everything that, that the freedom and independence that college affords them sometimes can be uh, jarring to them. Um, I've seen kids exclude their parents entirely, saying, okay, you know what, I'm done with you, thanks a lot, but, you know, please send money. <laughs> um, and I've seen kids that, that haven't yet severed the cord, and um, it, it can work both ways. It's interesting that there's also a lot of developmental research that we're seeing today in terms of how the brain develops and at what age and what stages they go through that in some ways lines up against the kind of things we've been talking about. Uh, I think kids are, are capable of far more than we understand and that... Um, nor that we give them opportunity to demonstrate that um, kids are very, very quick learners. They have good hearts. They have 
um, eager curiosity, um, and sometimes we're getting in the way rather than helping them. Of course, the the real world side of this is when you talk to employers about the problems and realities of dealing with millennials in the workplace today. Oh, I know. Yeah, when hears all kinds of scary stories. You know that they're you know they're constantly seeking affirmation that they're not uh, competent to handle serious responsibility that they're forever uh, asking for help and don't even like showing up on time. <laughs> talk about the sense of community among kids today, because there does seem to be that. There does seem to be, in some ways, a deeper sense of community. In many cases, yes, absolutely. And I, I, the culture does promote that, and as well we should. Uh, kids care very much about one another. They care very much about the planet. Um, they, it's going back to what we were talking about a moment ago with the, this impulse to fit in. Um, Kids like very much a sense of belonging and a, a spirit of shared responsibility, and that's quite heartening. Um, what you'd like to see is a little more um, eagerness to, to lead and assume responsibility and uh, be bold and innovative and original. Are you seeing any difference between different socioeconomic groups, or is this pretty much across the board in your experience? Uh, you know, it... My experience as a teacher has been really in the higher demographics. I taught for 16 years at an independent school in Honolulu, a day school called Punahou, which uh, is where President Obama went. And uh, I've been at Wellesley High School since 2002, and Wellesley is an upper-tier and very nice suburb of Boston. Um, I think there are aspects of what I'm describing that apply across the board. I think there are other aspects of what I'm describing that are really exclusive to children of privilege. And by the way, children of privilege don't necessarily feel themselves particularly privileged because the world they see around them, their immediate environment, establishes for them their norm, and they think they're just regular kids dealing with what kids deal with. They don't see themselves as particularly privileged. And social media, of course, gives them the sense that somebody else is always doing better as well. And and that could well be the reality, too. David McCullough, Jr., the book is You Are Not Special and Other Encouragements. David, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Oh, thanks very much. I enjoyed it. Really appreciate it. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. 